appreciate the talent that God has given them and the way their voices blend together. But I also very much appreciate the songs they choose to sing for our worship services. So Christ-centered and so scriptural. I don't know if you've ever really given any thought to that about how Christ Himself all alone took our sins upon Himself upon that cursed tree and died as a sinner's substitute with God, God the Father forsaking Him. He has promised, our Lord has promised never to forsake us. But while He hung there on that cross, He cried out, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? And that was all purposed by God before time began. And our Lord purposed that so that He would never, ever have to forsake us. There was no other way but for the death of His Son upon the cruel cross at Calvary to satisfy His holy justice. So rest assured, dear beloved in Christ, God has promised and He will keep His promise never to forsake His chosen blood-bought children. What a wonderful promise God gives to us. I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Once again, we welcome you. And before I forget, Pastor Wayne Boyd sends his love and his greetings. And uh, he said he really enjoyed his fellowship with Michael and Lindsay and their children while they were there on their vacation. And I understand our son Daniel and his family were also with, with you after the services, during the services, and after the services as well. And so we're thankful to hear from uh, Wayne and the, the saints up there in Central Point, Oregon. And thankful that our loved ones are back with us. Now as an introduction to this morning's message, let me share with you something you already know, but sometimes it's good just to be reminded. National Israel was God's chosen nation to typify His church. I say that because of the error that's being taught in many religious circles today, believing that those unbelieving Christ-hating Jews are still God's chosen people. God is through with Israel as a nation, as a type. And Hebrews chapter 8 clearly tells us this, that they continued not in God's covenant, so God regarded them not. That city over in Jerusalem is just as corrupt as San Francisco. God is never pleased, He never has been pleased, He never will be pleased with anyone who does not have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please our God. But national Israel was extremely blessed in many different ways. They were blessed with God's presence. His presence was with them when He delivered them out of bondage to Egypt. His presence was with them as He parted the Red Sea, showing them that He, by His power, made a way for them to escape. The enemy was right behind them. Those Egyptian soldiers led by Pharaoh 
were right behind them. They had no way to go. The sea was in front of them. There was a cliff behind them. They couldn't get up that cliff. The enemy was coming. God's presence was manifested when He, by His power, opened up the Red Sea and His presence was with them while they walked through this wilderness, a pillar of fire by night, a cloud to cover them from the heat by day. His presence was clearly seen when the smoke filled the temple as Moses just elated over the presence of God. And unto them, unto God, I mean unto the Israelites, God gave them His oracles, His commandments, His way to worship Him, to approach Him through a high priest. His presence was with the high priest in that innermost sanctuary which was called the holiest of holies on the Day of Atonement every year. Every year. And our God met with that high priest and received that blood offering that was sprinkled on the mercy seat which all of that pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest who has entered into heaven itself there to appear in the presence of God for us not without blood but with His own blood. And so national Israel had many blessings from the Lord. God didn't send His oracles to the Gentile nations. No priest to the Gentile nations. There were exceptions. Uh, Nineveh was an exception. But for the most part, only those Gentiles who proselyted into the Jewish religion had those promises in God's presence. National Israel, God's chosen nation, for the most part, the leaders of Israel and those who followed them did not want God's presence. They didn't want Him. They didn't want those types and those figures except to try to revel in in thinking that they were keeping those things to establish their own righteousness. They did not see Christ in those types, in those shadows, in those animal sacrifices. They hated God and proved their hatred by their sinful rebellion against Him. And when the Lord of heaven and earth smote them with His righteous judgments, they would not repent. They would not turn back to God. They would not seek Him. Matter of fact, the righteous judgments of God caused them to be even more angry and more hateful and more blasphemous. That's what's recorded for our learning in this passage of Scripture that I want to read in your hearing this morning. Three times from verse 9 of Isaiah 9 through verse 4 of Isaiah 10, three times we read these words, For all this His anger is not turned away, but His hand is stretched out still. That's in verse 17, verse 21, and verse... And and verse 4 of chapter 10. Now I've titled this message, God is not angry with His people. But, someone might say, isn't national Israel 
God's people? Well, like I said earlier, national Israel was chosen just to typify God's church. God had His elect in national Israel. There was always a remnant. Always. There has always been a remnant that God had blessed all through the history of man. All the way from the fall of Adam up to this present day, during the days of the Apostle Paul, he, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, even at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now all of those types, all of those shadows, all of those figures, all of those animal sacrifices, everything under the old Mosaic economy, all of those things have been fulfilled by our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, even Saturday, the day of rest, Christ is our rest. We rest in Him. We do not rest in a day. So all of those things were fulfilled by our Savior. Now, let's take a brief look at these verses before us. And, and then I want to take us into the New Testament to show us why God is not angry with His people. We have covered down through verse 7 of Isaiah 9, starting at verse 8 of this same chapter, we read, The Lord sent a word unto Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel. Now brethren, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, which means prince with God. Jacob begat twelve sons and they're called the, the twelve sons of Jacob are called the twelve sons of Israel, Jacob. And from those twelve sons came those different tribes which are known as the twelve tribes of Israel. Now Jesus Christ is our sovereign king. And like I said, he has a remnant, a people that were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And those people, all of them, all of, all of those from Adam clear up to the last one that will be called out of darkness by the sovereign, irresistible drawing power of God, the Holy Spirit, all of those people make up spiritual Israel. A Jew is not one outwardly, a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is not that of the flesh, but of the heart, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So if you're born again, if God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your heart, you're part of spiritual Israel. And the word of the Lord came unto Jacob and lighted upon Israel. And so if God has come to us under the preaching of His Gospel, His word has come to us. His word has enlightened our minds, has lightened upon Israel, His people. And we have heard the truth. We have heard the gospel. We have heard that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior, that He by Himself purged our sins, that He is now our risen, exalted King who is seated on His throne of power. And as our sovereign King and as His children, we are those who are of the royal family. You're a prince. You're a princess. Israel, prince with God. Now, God reminds us that His spiritual Israel are the ones who hear His voice. The Word came unto Jacob. And today is no different in the midst of a world of spiritually dead sinners 
amongst a world of evil, self-righteous religionists, God has His people that He will bring under the preaching of His Gospel and they will hear. God will open their spiritually deaf ears or our spiritually blind eyes. Our Lord Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me. And when we, when we hear His voice, when He gives us faith to believe on Him according to the Scriptures, we see the glory of God by faith in the face of Jesus Christ. And when we see that, we don't want anything else but that Gospel preached to us. It's what we were talking about in the men's meeting this morning. It's what I was talking with one of the brothers before the services started. I mentioned to John, I don't have anything new. I have the same old message. I preach it over and over and over again. And John said, God help us if we do come up with something new. And that's so true. Now look at verses 9 and 10 of Isaiah 9. It says, And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, that say in the pride and stoutness of heart, the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. All the people, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, that's referring to the proud, arrogant, stout-hearted, unregenerate, stiff-necked people that were part of the nation of Israel. They hated God. They would not repent. They would not turn to God even though He, he dealt with them severely in righteous judgments. Instead of repenting, they boasted of being able to rebuild their homes much better than they were before. Instead of bricks, now they're going to use hewn stones. Instead of sycamore trees, now they're going to use cedars. But our Lord says that all the people shall know. And those who died in their sins knew that God meant what He said. Not only said what He meant, but meant what He said. Righteous judgment was coming upon them. He moved His prophets to tell them about this. And everything that those prophets said concerning God and what was foretold them that was yet in the future came to pass just exactly like God said it would. Verses 11 and 12 says, Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of reason against Him and join His enemies together, the Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. For all this His anger is not turned away, but His hand is stretched out still. The Lord united the Syrians and the Philistines together and stirred them up against the Israelites. They, they were boxed in. They were surrounded. They didn't have any way to go they couldn't get any help from anyone. And God wasn't going to help them. He had warned them this was going to happen. The Scripture says, if God be for us, who can be against us? But turn that around. And, and this is just as true. If God be against us, who can be for us? And so, what was happening to them when the Syrians and the Philistines came upon them is exactly what God had prophesied would happen. And they came... Those armies came much stronger than the Israelites and they came with open mouth. In other words, ready to devour their adversaries, ready to devour the Israelites, those who 
were against them. They came with strength and power and determination. Make sure you do not miss this very important part of our text. It was God who set up those armies against Israel. The Word of God is very clear about His sovereign power. The last part of verse 12 says, For all this, His anger is not turned away, but His hand is stretched out still. It wasn't God's hand of mercy that was stretched out still. No, it was His hand of wrath. He wasn't through with Him yet. As John Gill stated, God had not yet stirred up all His wrath. He had not done with them He had still other judgments to bring upon them. Verses 13 and 14 we read, For the people turneth not unto Him that smiteth them, neither neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush, and one day the ancient and honorable, He is the head, and the prophet that teacheth lies, He is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is an hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. So the Syrians and the Philistines were the instruments that God used, but God Himself is the one who imposed the judgment upon them, the one who smote the Israelites. But that did not turn national Israel to God. They did not repent. They did not seek after Him. And that's the way it is with all of the unregenerate today. There's nothing that we can do, nothing that the individual can do, to cause them to repent. We didn't repent of our own doings. If we think that we repented of our own doings, by our own doings, then we need to repent of our repentance. It's God who grants repentance unto life and the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So these Israelites did not repent. They still hated God. And it was as it was, it's just as true today as it was. The Word of God tells us there is none that seeketh after God. That's in Romans chapter 3. None that doeth good. The goodness of God is more precious than we realize. And He bestows that upon His people in a matter of salvation in every aspect of it. The goodness of God is what convicts His children of our spiritually bankrupt condition, convicting us of our need of Christ. We would never, never would we have seen our need of Christ if it wasn't for Holy Spirit conviction. It's the goodness of God that brings us under the preaching of His Gospel. I don't know where you were when you heard the Gospel. I know this. If you believe in Arminian free will doctrine or any doctrine of works, you haven't heard the Gospel. Not with the ears of the heart. And it's God's goodness that brings us away from those camps of self-righteous religionists and brings us where the Gospel is preached. And it's the goodness of God that takes the Gospel as it's preached by His faithful servants and makes it effectual in the hearts of His people, revealing to us that the only way 
to God is through Christ our Savior. And the only way to God through Christ our Savior is by Christ our Savior making us aware of that way and setting us free from the bondage that we were in. And that's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that reveals Jesus Christ as our risen, exalted King. Of course He died. We, we know He died. Wonder of wonders. God became a man so that He could lay down His life for His sheep. But He's not in that grave anymore. He's not on that cross anymore. He has risen. He's the risen, exalted Christ of God who rules over this whole universe and everything in it. And it's the goodness of God that reveals this to us so that we'll bow down to Him confessing that He is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Lord, which means supreme controller. And if you have not bowed down to Jesus Christ, you have not bowed down to God at all. Our text says, Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush in one day. And God describes unregenerate Israel as nothing but a beast, a beast that has a tail. It's referring, the head is referring to the prominent people of Israel, those in high places, those who were governors or judges or people who held offices of preeminence and those who lorded it over the people and looked down on the common everyday people with scorn. And the tale refers to the prophets, false prophets, who spoke lies. And they loved to tell those lies. And I just have to believe they knew they were telling lies. And today it's the same. I don't know what is in that poem that Mike Lovelace has written titled television preacher but I've watched a few of them I, I can't hardly stand it but I've watched a few of them and they just seem to delight in telling lies and all they're after is the people's money and prominent people love that those people in those religious organizations they love those lies that's what they want to hear smooth things and those false preachers, those TV evangelists, that's what they want is the money. So these prominent people, these governors, these judges, they give them money to keep preaching those lies. And here's something interesting, and we need to mark this down. Those leaders of Israel, those prominent men, and those false prophets, they perished. When God sent judgment upon Israel, they perished. But so did all those people who believed their lies and followed them, and today's no different. I know the people in false religions are deceived by the false preaching of those who are over them, spiritually speaking, or religiously speaking, I should say. But they're believing those lies, and they're all in the same camp. They're all headed for the same ditch. They're blind leaders of the blind and they're going to fall headlong into that ditch right into eternal torment if they continue in those lies going through that door marked death and there's no escape from eternal torment. So these indictments that we're reading against national Israel are indictments against the whole human race. Those who are the reprobate goats 
who will never repent. And did you know that hell will not cause them to repent either? All eternity, for all eternity, those people who are in that lake of fire will be gnashing their teeth. The worm never dies. Fire is never quenched. The worm refers to the conscience. Over and over and over they're going to be reminded of their sinful ways, but they'll still gnash their teeth against God. There's no repentance in heaven or in hell. Can't be. Can't be. And they don't want repentance. They're still hating God, still striking out against Him. Now our text says, For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows, for everyone is an hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. In other words, every mouth speaketh foolishness, and the gospel is foolishness to them that perish. But unto us who are saved, it's the power of God. And so this applies not only to national Israel, but applies to this generation as well. Once again, we read these words from God concerning them. For all this, God's anger is not turned away, but His hand is stretched out still. God was not through with them. He had more judgments coming. His anger was not turned away. Look at verses 18 through 21. For wickedness burneth as the fire. It shall devour the briars and thorns. It shall kindle in the thickets of the forest. And they shall mount up like the lifting up of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened, and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother, and he shall snatch, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry, and he shall eat on the left hand, and they shall not be satisfied. They shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh, Ephraim, Ephraim, and Ephraim, Manasseh, and they together shall be against Judah. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And so these verses are describing the wrath of God against those Israelites, uh, those rebellious Jews, like a raging fire that is out of control, devouring everything in its path. So the wrath of God comes through, consuming all of those that are filled with this indignation against God, His chosen people, those who thought that they could earn their own salvation by their sinful works of righteousness. The fire of God's wrath came through and every... Brother was against his brother. There couldn't be no help. No help from anyone. There's no food. It almost appears like they were not only cannibals, but eating the flesh of their own arm. Or spiritually speaking, it could refer to tribes turning against one another like Manasseh and Ephraim turning against Judah. They just had, there was no help. And so they just turned against one another. Now in verses 1 through 4, well let me bring this to your attention again. Once again, we read these words, for all this, God's anger is not turned away, but His hand is stretched out still. So He still had judgments coming upon Him. And those judgments are still upon national Israel. Still upon the unregenerate people who are who are steeped in their own self-righteous works. People who don't want God. People who continue in their rebellious ways. Let me say something. I wonder, during all of this wrath of God that was being poured out on those Israelites, I wonder if they heard this from any of those false prophets. Smile. God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for you. God has a plan, all right, and it's wonderful for His chosen blood-bought children. 
but it's not so wonderful for those who refuse to believe on the Christ of Holy Scripture. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10 says, Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees and that right grievousness which they have prescribed to turn away the needy from judgment and to take away the right from the poor of my people that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. So woe from God Himself is pronounced upon all those prominent men and those false prophets that, that took and put into effect different laws that did not come from God. Teaching for doctrine, the commandments of men. Judges taking bribes. A person could be brought before a judge innocent of the charges, but a, a, a wicked judge would take a bribe from a prominent person and convict an innocent man anyway. And today's not much different. So this is pronounced, this woe is pronounced on those men, but it's pronounced on all ungodly men who are involved in these kinds of things. Look at verse 3. And what will you do in a day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from far? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? So the day of vengeance or visitation refers to the day of God's wrath. The day when there would be no escape. Not from those people and God's wrath is coming. He's willing to show His wrath and there's no escape from that. Once that starts getting poured out on the people, there's escape now. There's a way to escape it now. John the Baptist said, Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The only escape is Jesus Christ. Flee to Him. Flee to the One of Holy Scripture who promises that God's wrath will not be poured out on you because He Himself endured the wrath of God as our substitute. There when He hung on that cross at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Verse 3 says, And what will you do on the day of visitation? What will people do when... Everything burst into the marvelous light of our Lord Jesus. He's coming. You all believe that? He's coming again. I don't know when, neither does Harold Camming, but He's coming again. And one of these days, He's going to show that He's the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Bible says when He comes back, the heavens are going to melt with fervent heat. It's going to be a great fire. Everything's going to be burned up. The wicked will be consumed with the brightness of His coming. He's coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who know not God and obey not His gospel. So that day of visitation is coming. Where will they turn to? Where will they leave their glory then? Those prominent men who were filthy rich who thought that their children, their grandchildren, would take their positions of authority and they would leave their riches to their, their descendants. Where would they leave their glory? It was all gone. You know, I've said this before, and it bears repeating, I have never, ever in my life, and I've been around a long time, I have never seen a hearse that's going to a cemetery pulling a U-Haul trailer. Have you? You're not going to take your goods with you. You can't. We might leave our riches with our loved ones, and, and that's understandable. But in a day of God's wrath, we won't leave that with anybody. It's all going to be consumed. Verse 4 says, Without me, they shall bow down under the prisoners, and they shall fall under the slain. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. 
Not only do I believe this refers to the fact that God would not be with them to help them when His righteous judgments came upon national Israel, but I also believe it refers to the fact that they were not God's chosen blood-bought children. They never were His to begin with. God's anger was never turned away from those Israelites, those unregenerate Israelites who were not His sheep and has not been turned away from the death of Christ our Savior to this day. And it won't, Did you know they're still looking for the Messiah over there? He came 2,000 years ago. It's been over 2,000 years and God has never sent them a prophet since. And they're still looking for the Messiah. God's still bringing judgment upon them. They're still going out into eternity dying in their sins right into eternal torment if they don't know Jesus Christ. Now I know this. I know God still has His elect. I know there are some of His chosen people in Israel, but they're going to come the same way we come. They're going to come by bowing down to Jesus Christ and receiving Him as their Lord and their Savior, believing that He by Himself redeemed them with His precious blood. They had nothing to do with that. Now I want to take you over to Romans and I'll I'll be brief. Turn to Romans chapter 3 if you will please. When our Sovereign Lord sends His Word, His Gospel to one of His lost Jacobs, one that He Himself has found. Did you know our Lord Jesus is the one who seeks His sheep? (laughs) The Bible says, Seek Him while He may yet be found. And we, we encourage people to do that. But when the Lord enlightens our minds, when His Word falls upon His lost Jacobs and we see ourselves redeemed by His blood, we realize and we acknowledge that if He had not first sought us, we never would have sought Him. We don't seek Him in our unregenerate state. We'll see ourselves also just as guilty, just as rebellious as those unbelieving Jews we've been reading about in Isaiah 9 and first part of chapter 10. We'll see ourselves bankrupt spiritually. No way. No way to offer anything that will appease God's anger. We'll see ourselves helpless and hopeless, rightly deserving nothing but God's wrath. This is what God does. This is the way He works. He first convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And when that comes, when that falls upon us, and it's out of the preaching of His glorious gospel, God's preachers must, we must warn people that you're nothing but sin from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. There's nothing good in you. There's no way you can please God. You say, well, isn't helping somebody, isn't that pleasing to God? Helping some little old lady across the street, doesn't that please God? Taking some of our monies and giving to the poor, isn't that pleasing to God? That's pleasing to our neighbors. That's pleasing to the one who receives our benevolent kindness. But if it's not done for the glory of God, if we do not have faith in what we do, it's an abomination to God. We must... We must understand this or we'll be swept away by the main street of professing Christians today who think they've earned their own salvation or earned favor with God by what they have done and continue to earn favor with God by what they do so that they'll gain more stars in their crowns or more rewards in heaven. Listen, Christ is our reward. And the crown belongs to King Jesus. We have a crown of righteousness, yes. And God is not not unrighteous to forget the 
works that we do for His glory, when we manifest good deeds to His saints and continue to do those things. For a Christian, that's done in the name of Jesus for His honor and for His glory. Now, our great God will reveal to us when we hear the truth that we were never objects of His wrath. We, by nature, were children of wrath even as others. We did drink iniquity just like water. We ran with the wicked. We, we did evil things and still continue to do things we shouldn't do and refuse to do the things we know we should do. But that's the old man. But we were never objects of God's eternal wrath. Never. He loves us with an everlasting love. His own chosen people who were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world were always vessels of mercy which He afore prepared unto glory. The redemption of God's elect was purposed by God in all eternity and eternal covenant of grace. Jesus Christ is declared to be the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I had a preacher tell me he believed that had reference to Abel's Lamb that was offered. <laughs> what blindness! God justified us in Christ before this world was ever created. Of course, Christ had to come and the actual event of His walk on this earth establishing a perfect righteousness for us had to take place. He had to go to the cross as the perfect Lamb of God without spot or blemish. After satisfying the holy law of God and perfect obedience, He had to go to that cross and lay down His life and when He did that, that satisfied the holy justice of God forever for all of His people. That had to take place, but it was all purposed by God before the world was ever created. In the fullness of time, God sent His Spirit, His Son, made of the law, made of the law, to redeem those who were under the law. And this took place according to what God had purposed before this world was ever created for the redemption of His chosen people. And if we believe the Gospel, if we believe what the Word of God says, we won't have any problems with that. I know people who have come out of false religions for a little while when they hear the truth, of, even after God regenerates them, they, they might wonder, is, is that really right? But I guarantee you, no sinner saved by the grace of God with the Spirit of Christ dwelling in them will have any lasting problems with the truths of the Gospel. Now listen to this. Romans chapter 3 starting at verse... No, I'm sorry. Chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 starting at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, we had no strength. That's what Steve brought out in Sunday school this morning. The horn refers to, in the scripture, it refers to strength. An animal with a horn pushes his way through. We didn't have any strength in our ungodly, unregenerate condition. We had strength in the arm of the flesh. But we had no strength to 
come to Christ. No man can come to Christ except the Father would send him draw us. So we were without strength in due time. Christ died for me. There's my name. He died for the ungodly. He didn't come to call righteous to repentance. He came to call sinners to repentance. Verse 7 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. And that's true. We know this to be true. Many soldiers have laid down their lives for their generals. But that's rare. Scarcely will one do that. Verse 8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet in that awful, helpless, hopeless, sinful condition, hating Christ, hating His Gospel, hating His people, just like those Jews we have been reading about in Isaiah 9 and 10. We were sinners, but Christ died for us while we were in that condition. He laid down His life knowing full well that He was dying for His chosen people who hated Him without a cause. Look at verse 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. My subject this morning is God is not angry with His people. God is not angry with His people. Though He has every right to be if He sent the whole human race to everlasting torment, He would be just in doing that except for this one wonderful truth. Jesus Christ paid the redemption price in full for a particular people. And those people that He laid down His life for are justified by His blood, not by what we do. Justified by His blood. Look at verse 10. For if, when we were enemies, and we were enemies in our own mind by wicked works, like I said earlier, running from God and hating Him, if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by our own free will. Whoops, wait a minute. No, that says by the death of His Son. That says that we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. He died 2,000 years ago. That's when we were reconciled to God. You know what the word reconciled means. It's two quarreling parties and somebody comes in between and, and is instrumental in appeasing the anger of one toward the other and the anger of another toward the other. Then they're reconciled. In other words... Their differences are settled. They're not angry at one another anymore. Well, Christ reconciled us to God by His own death 2,000 years ago. While we were yet enemies, Jesus Christ died for us. The, the Gospel points to what Jesus Christ has done for His people unconditionally upon our part. We had nothing to do with that. We had no more to do with our spiritual birth than we did with our physical birth. And it's Jesus Christ who comes in the person of the Holy Spirit revealing this wonderful gospel to us. So we were reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ, but we shall be saved by His life. In other words, our Lord Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. And before any 
of those who were given to Him in the eternal covenant of grace by God the Father, redeemed by Him at Calvary 2,000 years ago, before any of those can be taken from Him, you're going to have to take Christ off of His throne. Who's going to do that? He's God. And so our assurance is in Him, not in ourselves. Look at verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement, received the good news. A man can receive nothing except to be given to him from above. So we have received Christ. We have received the Gospel. We have received the atonement. And it's ours. It's ours. God has given this to us. And we rejoice in that. Let me show you another passage of Scripture. Look at Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 of... Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. That word means judgment. No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And that's where the verse should end. The translators took a part of verse 4 and put it up with verse 1. It does not belong there. It doesn't do any harm to it, but it doesn't belong there. The, The verse should read this. There is therefore now no judgment to them which are in Christ Jesus. And if I'm in Christ Jesus... I'm free from the wrath to come. And I was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. I was in Christ when He came to this world. I was in Him when He established a righteousness for me. I was in Him when He suffered and bled and died. I was in Him when He was buried. I was in Him when He came out of the grave. And I've been made to sit in heavenly places in Him. One more and I'll quit. Look over here at Romans chapter 9, if you will please. Starting at verse 21. And this is so good and I know... The self-righteous religionists hate this. And I have heard, I don't know how true it is, but I have heard there are some Bible colleges that will expel you for even reading the ninth chapter of Romans. Well, you're better off to get away from that college anyway. Starting at verse 21 of Romans 9, we read, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? We know that's true. And a potter is that at his wheel, making a vessel out of the clay, he'll make whatever he wants to. Nobody's dictating to him. Look at verse 22. What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He had afore prepared unto glory? Now folks, God is a divine potter, and we're clay in the divine potter's hands, and He forms a vessel as it pleases Him. Some are vessels fitted to destruction, and I know ungodly, unregenerate sinners are fitting themselves for destruction. But I also know there are some who are appointed to stumble at the Word. We read this in 1 Peter. And we were just like those people and if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would still be just like them. But God, before this world was ever created, and we're reading this in this 22nd verse, or 23rd verse, that we are vessels of mercy which He had afore prepared unto glory. And the afore refers back to before time began. So we will always been, have always been by God's appointment, vessels of mercy. God has mercy on whom He will have mercy. And whom He will, He hardeneth. That's Scripture. Look at the next verse. It says in verse 24, Even us. Are you one of the even us? Are you one of God's Jacobs? Are you one that God has enlightened where the light of His glorious Gospel has 
burn deep into your heart so that like the two on the road to Emmaus, you just can't hardly contain it. This, this wonderful truth of God being the one who chose us and redeemed us and called us. It's what it says. Even us whom He hath called. God must call us. Preachers preach the Gospel. We preach the Gospel. There's a call that goes out from us to all of those who come under the hearing of our preaching. But God Himself must call you with an holy calling, with that personal, inward, efficacious call that gets the job done. And when He calls us, we will come. When we hear His voice, we will come. And it won't be down to the front of the church repeating some terrible, blasphemous words by one of the prophets of Baal. It'll be right where you're sitting, right where you are. By faith, God will give you the understanding of who Christ is and what He has done for you and where He is now. And you'll rejoice in the truth knowing that you've heard the voice of Jesus Christ. He has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And this is not just referring to the Jews. Look what it says. Last part of verse 24, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So all Israel shall be saved. All spiritual Israel. All of God's Israel. All of God's Jacobs. All of them shall be saved. They'll all hear the voice of Jesus Christ. Our Lord is our blessed surety. In the eternal covenant of grace, He agreed to be surety for His people. Responsible for them. And He will say as... I put in today's bulletin by Pastor Don Fortner an article. Our Lord Jesus will say to His Father, of all those that You have given Me, I have lost none. All that the Father giveth Him shall come to Him. And those who come to Him, He will in no wise cast out. God is not angry with His people. God is not angry with those in Christ, those who were redeemed by Christ. He loves us, rejoices in the fact that we delight in Him because He delights in us. God bless us as we ponder these wonderful truths for the glory of the One who loved us and gave Himself for us. Amen.